0: And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath."
1: Welcome to a word fitly spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Adam Coons to talk about the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. Sunday, even, if we're going to go that far. Gentlemen, how are you? Very well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Everything is mild here as far as weather posting is concerned. It almost feels like spring today. How about over your way?
0: It's still a little chilly, but for me, that means 40 degrees and cloudy, at which Zelwyn probably laughs. (laughs) Yeah, there, there he is. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Zelwyn, how about you? Zelwyn, are you dead?
2: Yeah, it warmed up to forty today, so I'm breaking out the shorts and walking around in <laughs> flip flops. So it's it's it is a remarkably different way of of looking at the weather, I suppose. But it is quite warm here, at least compared to what it has been.
1: Very good, you know. Hope springs eternal, fam. So there we go. <laughs> so we've come together to talk about the Sabbath, what it is what it implies, and how to keep it holy. Gentlemen, why talk about this subject at all?
0: I think the subject of the Sabbath is more important than ever, because along with the societal decline in prominence and importance of Christianity to Americans, has also come a loss of the benefits of Christianity, including the keeping of Sunday as a holy day Pretty much generally. This is something that has changed even over my own lifetime, but certainly my parents talk about how everything, absolutely everything, was closed on Sundays. In my own childhood, I would say, you know, only the gas station was open.
1: If there was a 24 hour gas station, it might have stayed open, but literally everything else in town was closed. Even the grocery stores, I can remember being closed on Sunday. Right. Those days, for at least for now, are gone let's just get a basic working definition of the sabbath now the bible is going to talk about sabbaths you know as in more than one but there is one major sabbath so let's just define that word and and see what our working definition is
0: it's a word m- meaning rest and that word is used to denote the seventh day of the week on which god in the act of creation rested from his work Rested from all the work he had done. Right. So
1: right there at creation, we have the principle of rest. So is rest at the heart of the Sabbath?
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about, I think, different aspects of the Sabbath. But I think the one that is most urgent for anyone who's listening and lives in the United States of America right now is the notion of rest, because without the Sabbath, we do not experience rest, and the demands of everything from youth sports to work to any other number of things demands that we do not rest. So that when you're looking at the Sabbath, there are going to be other aspects, and we'll talk about hearing and, and believing the Word of God on the Sabbath. But the notion of rest is actually built in, as you can see, into creation. And that idea is one that goes against our society's usual, I think, habit of mind, which is that there is nothing kind of given about anyone, right? So I think you see this, it's, it's the same impulse as in transgenderism, which is that I'm not set up any certain way. I can just live however I want and do whatever I want and be whoever I want. And it'll all work out in the same way that God makes mankind male and female, he also makes mankind to rest such that without it, there is something massive missing about life for us. And I think a lot of people experience
1: this lack of rest without realizing what it is that they're missing. So frequent burnout, fatigue, despair, I believe is tied in part to an inadequate understanding of Christian rest. Make no mistake that this does encompass both spiritual rest, as we'll talk about, and plain old physical rest. You need both of those things. You are a human body and soul, right? And so having rest built into creation just makes this point all the more clear. Culture, and especially Christian culture, used to understand this better as we just spoke about with the laws you know, in, in the United States. But it's still kind of reflected in European society a little bit better in parts of Germany, for example, although it's getting almost like it was in America. You know, many things are still closed. It's kind of a myth. It's a myth to say that we closed everything on Sundays because it's an American, an English, or a Puritan custom. The fact of the matter is, Western Christian society has always understood Sunday as the Lord's Day and respected it as such, and therefore... Everything was expected to be closed or otherwise inaccessible,
2: except in the cases of mercy or necessity. If I'm not mistaken, you see the similar decree all the way back in the days of Constantine, when he declared Sunday to be a day of rest.
1: There you go. Correct. And so it's false to call this notion puritanical or pietistic or, or what other epithets we want to throw around. It's just it's an ancient aspect of the faith that we've only forgotten about in the last 50 years or so.
2: One thing you brought up, Adam, I think is quite on point, is this idea that because we, as Americans in particular, I'm not talking about the fact, you know, just that uh, this is something that is universal, but as Americans in particular, if even if we are keeping, you know, our own personal kind of rest of sorts, even though that's, you know, quite distorted, we have gotten to the point where we want the kind of immediacy in the, the physical world That means that someone else is not going to get that same kind of rest, right? I need Mm. to be able to buy alcohol on Sunday. I need to be able to buy my groceries on Sunday so I can go home and have a Sunday brunch or something, which invariably means that someone else is going to have to work that day. So as long as it doesn't inconvenience me in any way, then sure, I will, quote unquote, keep it. But I want it to be on my terms.
0: Yeah, I mean I I think you have to see the Sabbath as intended for the entirety of creation such that you have questions about whether or not animals should be active on the Sabbath and you know the the laws of Moses obviously answer that very definitively that that everything and everyone is resting on the Sabbath. You also have in addition to the weekly Sabbath you have the extended sense of Sabbath years, and then beyond that, a Jubilee years within the agricultural calendar of Israel. And those are times when everything is left fallow. During that time, the idea that God's provision is best seen when you are not working is right there and very present. You have it also with the, the giving of manna, a twofold giving of manna for Fridays, so that you do not have to gather manna on the Sabbath. It's not built into creation so that you can, you know, keep it and check it off a checklist. It's built in both because you need it and because when you are not working, I think it is easiest to see how much God provides for you.
1: Very true. It's an interesting thing, and we're quoting a lot of the Old Testament, and we will we'll be open with the New, but we'll, we'll get back to the New soon. And when we look at the Old Testament, should not those of us who believe the Genesis account of creation, take it all the more seriously. Of all the moral law, which we would say exists prior to the giving of the Decalogue at Mount Sinai, you know, here it is built right into the opening chapters of the Bible. We love to go on and on about discussions about rock layers and and this and that, and yet right here in the plain text, we have this Sabbath principle, and yet it gets often cast aside. And for something that's spoken of so often in the Bible, it's something that we shouldn't take too lightly. Now, we'll get into a discussion of, say, Paul's discussion of observing new moons and Sabbaths and things like that. Again, context is very important. But at the same time, we're not going to go so far and say that the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy has been
2: removed from the Decalogue, right? Right. Although I do want to point out before we go on to the Decalogue, you make an excellent point with pointing towards creation because we very often and are very insistent upon that a marriage being before the fall into sin, right? You know, we make that a big point that this is not a result of sin, that this is part of what God intends for his creation. And yet we also see the beginning of the Sabbath before the fall into sin. So this is not like the third commandment was somehow brought in for the sake of, you know, because of sin. But Mm -hmm. this is something that is being reflected in the Decalogue all the way from the beginning of creation.
0: The creation of time is meant in Genesis 1 to benefit man. The heavenly bodies are there not to be worshiped as as the pagans do, but they are there to mark time for the benefit of man, such that the the calendar that the Lord gives which becomes, you know, obviously more elaborate later on in the giving of the Sinai law, but is already there in the existence of the change between light and darkness on a daily basis and the weekly sabbath all of that is meant to benefit man now this is described i find by science writers and things like that as you know circadian rhythms and (laughs) our need for a certain amount of sleep every night you know you you should probably go to bed by 10 30 most human beings need between you know six and eight hours of sleep every night all that kind of thing and that's just kind of accepted as given because it's put in biological terms but Christians should already know that man has natural limits as a creature, but he also has natural gifts for replenishing, healing, and directing his life that the Lord has given in the alternation of light and darkness and a principle of of a weekly rest. All of that we should already know. We should never have forgotten. He gives to his beloved sleep, as the song right. goes. Yeah. Right.
2: right. That's
1: the one that haunts me anytime I have a sleepless night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know me. So. Your election's in question. But anyway. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got to go fruit checking. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it. it's obviously extremely important. And we'll get to this a little bit, the change of the day. We don't want to jump into that too soon. But what happens if, if we do neglect this? We've alluded to it a little bit earlier. But what happens if, What has happened to us that we have neglected the Sabbath? What does that sin lead to?
0: It leads on a personal level to some of the things that you mentioned earlier, stress that cannot be borne, a constant sense of busyness or worry, anxiety, a sense that you always have to get something done. These are things that are actually not new to the modern age. I read a book recently about the advent it's called the victorian internet and it's about the advent of the telegraph and how worried businessmen were because at any moment when they were eating dinner with their families or even on a sunday and it was somewhat scandalous that telegrams could be delivered on sundays that on a sunday they could be interrupted by business it was kind of unthinkable but it was happening even then and you can see that the the temptation always to be working always to be going always to be doing something and getting somewhere existed in the ancient world that's why there are sabbath breakers that are named in the laws of Moses that's always there that's not new to us i think what is new to us is the the pace at which we feel our lives move and therefore the pace at which the sabbath becomes almost laughable you know i'm am i actually going to just stop all the stuff I have going on or refuse to let my kids participate in stuff on Sundays so that we can be together as a family. It just seems absurd to a lot of people. But on the other hand, I don't think they're enjoying their lives always going, going, going. And
1: you kind of have to relearn what it means to be at rest because you become so conditioned to always moving, never slowing down. And even if we want to reduce the Sabbath to, say, just listening to the Word, to it just being, well, get your hour in at the divine service, you know, and then you fulfilled it. Well, your mind is wondering because you are distracted by every other activity that you have on that Sunday. And it usually isn't all that family oriented. I mean, we can we can pretend that a lot of our activities that we drag our kids to would be family oriented, but oftentimes they aren't. And they might not even be beneficial, but everything is just pulling us in so many directions. Yeah. And if, and if one of our central aims at Word Fiddly is to get people to focus back on the Word and on the things of God, then we necessarily need a Sabbath to do that. You need that time to reset, to recalibrate, to reprioritize. It takes discipline. It's just like exercise. You're not going to be able to run that marathon immediately. And you're not going to be able to shed that layer of blubber immediately. You're just going to to have to work at it, and it's going to take (laughs) diligence. And you know what? That's fine. And I'm using all those work words and these sports metaphors again. I'm starting to sound too much like the Bible. We want to avoid that. But, But it is going to take some time, but it ought not be seen as burdensome. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, said someone somewhere. It isn't burdensome. What is burdensome is all of the other things that we've put on top of ourselves. We have become like those in the Bible who would build a fence around the law in a manner of speaking, by making our corporate ambitions or our civil ambitions to be some kind of commandment that we must fulfill for someone else who isn't God. So we've done the same thing as those, as those teachers in the New Testament. We've just done it for someone else with some other aim. And so we've got to start tearing down these fences and we've got to start, and we have to uncap the well that is the word of God and drink from it and see what it has to say and go back to those things that God would have us do. Because everything God gives us is good and for our benefit that we might see Him face to face one day.
2: If you think of the psalm, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. I think that really emphasizes the point that I mean that you're trying to make here, Willie, that because we have become so wrapped up in our own busyness, we come to imagine like Israel did when they entered into the promised land, that all the things that we have are the result of our own hands. But if God is the one who gives all things, you know it doesn't matter how busy we are, what matters is is that God gives it to us, and He will give it to us in his good time in his good pleasure. Now that, you know, of course, the Bible also condemns being lazy, but we have so gone past being lazy that we never even stop to consider what it might mean to labor with God being the provider.
1: Yeah, well said. And it's interesting how busyness and laziness can actually bump right up against each other too. And we ought to think seriously about, you know, that we are laboring for. So just something to think about while we go to a break, we'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. We are back. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills. here as always with Zell and Heidi. Joining us, the Reverend Adam Kuntz, and we're talking the Lord's Day, or the Sabbath. Now, a question we probably should have answered in the first segment, because I know that's the first question on everybody's minds. Is this legalism?
0: (laughs) Well... Pretty much anything is legalism if you have a hammer that is on the lookout for nails called legalism. I mean, it's (laughs) pretty much anything is going to be. And legalism, I want to say it this way. Legalism is honestly, I think, more of a meme than an actual doctrine in the sense that It's easy to recognize, both from the Bible and from Christian history, that there are people who have believed and do believe that they are saved through some set of rules that they believe they are keeping. I believe that those people and those churches are probably fewer and farther between than many realize, because legalism, I think, is much more widespread as simply a meme where I'm going to use that word if you tell me to do something that I hear it and I think, I don't want to do that. you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, that sounds like a drag. Right. And, and then what I can do after I think that is to question your, the, the irony here is extreme. I'm going to question the authenticity of your Christianity by asking something like, you think I need Jesus plus Sabbath keeping, or you think I need Jesus plus a heterosexual marriage? Sounds like legalism to me. So I I think it's helpful when people define terms. Legalism, strictly speaking, should be simply that you are somehow justified in some manner by some law. It may be thought of as divine law, it may be a cult leader's law, but you are somehow have standing before god by virtue of the keeping of some law that's not at all why god instituted a time of rest each week for creation he did not do that so that creation could be impressed with itself as we as we talked about part of the issue of resting from your works is so that you realize how all that you have and are is due to the lord's mercy if you never stop and rest you're not going to wind up being that much more in love with what christ has done for you you just won't think about christ at all which is what the world which these days doesn't know anything about a sabbath does it's not like during their busyness they're actually thinking about jesus they do sincerely believe that their life And anything that they enjoy about that life is due to their efforts or sheer dumb luck. Whereas if you're if you are resting on the Sabbath and you're in the Lord's house and you're with your family, you're enjoying their time, you're enjoying them as human beings instead of just occasions for social media posts. (laughs) When you're doing that, you realize how everything you have and are anything that is good is from him. And the reason you can realize that is because you're not busy doing a bunch of other stuff. You're pondering the Lord and His mercies.
1: Now, we come to an interesting crossroads in the discussion here. When we talk about the original Sabbath, we're talking about the last day of the week, which is Saturday on our calendar. At a certain point, that gets transferred to Sunday. Now, most of our listeners, that's going to ring some bells. They're going to understand why... We come together to worship on Sunday. So why do we consider the Sabbath transferred from one day to the next, from the last day to the first?
2: I mean, the the reason I think is most often given is that our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. And so as a result, the, the day of rest, which we experience in Christ, has been transferred from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Because he is our rest. He is our Sabbath, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that, you know, that, okay, so he's our rest, so we can go on and just continue being busy. It just means that we recognize that the Lord himself has changed the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, the significance of Christ's resurrection cannot be undervalued, <laughs> we will say. <laughs> this is a an event of immense proportions in the history of all created things. And thus, we enter into essentially a new age there. But we would argue it's not an age that does, away with, that does away with the law, quite frankly. There are those like, say, John MacArthur, for example, who would say, I believe that all of the Ten Commandments are binding on Christians except for remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They would totally annex that one commandment to the Old Testament and then keep the other nine.
0: I think it's just a subpar biblical theology that does that because... It's a dispensational reading of scripture, to be sure. Right? Yeah, I think the phrase that you used was a new age, which is right. And what happens in the new age, which has dawned with the resurrection of Christ and will dawn still more and more until that perfect day. What's happening in the new age is not that the new age is utterly unlike the old age. But it is that the new age is a time of fulfillment of all that the old age failed to do or failed to be. But the institutions are found in some measure a temple, a Sabbath, a high priest, but these things are summed up in Christ. That does not do away, however, in the same way that marriage is not obliterated by the resurrection of Christ neither is, and this is why we started where we did, neither is the notion that creation and creatures need to rest. Right. The Christian Lord's Day is a combination of the principle of creation rest with the worship with the Lord who is making all things new via his resurrection.
1: Yeah, the Sabbath is actually a picture of that renewal. Right. In many ways. And I think if you want to look at it through that lens, that might help our listeners of you know to fathom this a bit more the significance of it that it's not some Jewish fable it's not some relic of of the old covenant that we began with it's a principle in creation and it's one that is actually not abrogated not done away with by the life death and resurrection of Christ but rather it is affirmed and clarified by those things. And so It's not so so much to say that Christ has died and rose again so that you can work on Sunday. It's saying that Christ has died and rose again, that you might understand what it is to rest in the Lord, to rest in Jesus Christ,
2: and to truly do that. I like the way that you put it, Adam, because it really drives home the point that the temple has not really been abrogated. You know, the temple has become the body of Christ. The high priesthood has not been abrogated, you know, done away with. It has become Jesus, who after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, unless we want to get rid of Hebrews. <laughs> so, I mean, all of these things, the the outward forms, I suppose you could say, have been done away with in some right. sense. But right. their spiritual reality has gone on. They still continue.
0: Yeah, that that is why the it is so essential for Christians to understand the Old Testament, because it is not a book of things that are now irrelevant, like, you know, I don't know, a phone book for Wichita in 1949. Truly, if you don't believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then
1: the Old Testament is like the Wichita phone book in 1953. The, the, The worship that continues, even if it tries to mimic what happened in the Old Testament, if it doesn't have Jesus Christ, it's vain worship, and it's not the worship of the scriptures. And so it serves no purpose. And so yeah I suppose there is a vain way to go about this but not if we have Jesus Christ as the as the center here.
0: And I think that that is crucial for understanding potentially some errors that Christians have made in discussions of the Sabbath over time. Although I'm a little skeptical about this because it it's more often caricatured than actually carried out. But when Luther is discussing the Sabbath in the large catechism on the third commandment he says that this does not consist in sitting behind the stove. Maybe the the example that readers would be most familiar with, maybe, is in the Little House on the Prairie books. They will often get dressed up for Sunday.
1: Well, hold on is, is there is there a video game version of that? <laughs>
0: You're asking the wrong guy. You're asking the wrong guy. I have read the physical books to my actually phys- my actual children, so can't get more wholesome than that. If they're trying to, if they're trying to
1: ban the book now, you know, you know, you know, it's wholesome.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So they'll get dressed up on the Sabbath, but I don't, I guess they don't have a church to go to. There is no church close enough. That's entirely possible. But even then there is some kind of Christian exercise. There's a reading from the Bible involved. The Sabbath does not only consist in resting. If it did, then it could be what it is. It would not be the Lord's Day, which is the phrase that the New Testament uses for what the Old Testament calls exclusively the Sabbath, and that vocabulary switch is a little confusing to people because when you hear about the Sabbath in whether it's the Gospels or the the Epistles or indeed Revelation it's often in a negative light and we can talk about that, but the, the switch from Sabbath to Lord's day is the same thing as saying the switch from the Jerusalem temple to the body of Christ or the switch from the Aaronic priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood of Christ. Yeah. It is fulfillment.
1: Yeah. And with with, uh, very few exceptions, very early, early on in the new Testament era, you have Christians coming together to worship on the Lord's day. And at a certain point, there is no going back to Jerusalem. There's no going back to the earthly temple. I mean, 70 AD really kind of put the nail in that coffin. Right. But very early on, you see that transition happening and the significance of that. You know, what do we make of this? You do have the Sabbath in a negative connotation in the New Testament. But again, that's a question of context. Or you have... Paul saying, let no one trouble you over a new moon or a Sabbath. So what are we to make of, of verses like that?
2: Well, when you're dealing with the, the negative approach, as you call it, to the Sabbath, like let's say in the Gospels, just to start with the examples with Jesus, it's always because the Pharisees or some, or some of his Jewish opposition are always misinterpreting the purpose of what the Sabbath is for. Right. They're always coming at it like, you can't do a work of mercy because it's contrary to the law. And this is according to our understanding, whereas Jesus is always pointing them back and saying, no, this is not why the Sabbath was given in the first place. He doesn't say there is no Sabbath because Jesus himself Uh, keeps the Sabbath. Right. He says, you guys are doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, the Sabbath is filed under the moral law. And that's a distinction that we kind of lay over it later, but it does, it does prove true. There are civil punishments for Sabbath breaking, but it's always filed under what we understand as the moral law. So for instance, you're free to eat ham and shellfish and fish without scales now, because that part of the law has been abrogated. We do have that, you know, specifically mentioned. You do not have verses in the New Testament, however, that say that this principle of rest has been done away with. And I, and I think that we see a little bit of this language in the fellowship aspect of the New Testament church, where they are coming together in the breaking of bread and the prayers.
0: Yeah, specifically on the first day of the week. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Let's look real quick at Paul in Colossians 2, where he's talking about, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance or the fullness belongs to Christ. And then he's going to go on about self-created religion, man-made religion. The issue there is that the Colossians are potentially being enslaved by Judaizers, very similarly to the Galatians, to a way of life which has no reference to Christ. So the issue there of a Sabbath is not so much the notion of resting or coming to the lord's house of putting aside other work it's an issue of becoming a jew because that is now being required in order to be in christ whereas being in christ is through faith independent of one's genetics they are judaizing and paul wants them to avoid every hint of judaizing so what he's saying there in verse 16 at the end he's really saying you need to avoid a Jewish liturgical calendar which would enslave you to a religious way of life that has no reference to Christ.
1: Right, and indeed, some have fallen into that trap today. There are certain sectors, uh, Messianic Judaism, for example, I think is very close to falling into that error. Certainly the Hebrew roots kind of people or many Seventh-day Adventists come close to this too, right?
0: Yep, yep, yep. It's a temptation that comes up over and over again, pretty much always when there is a misunderstanding of what the meaning of the Old Testament is and how it relates to Christ. I think that's maybe the, the key thing. One point that I'd like to stress is that if we're reading the Bible as if now Sunday means I can do, I do whatever I want with my time because, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead we will have also misunderstood the Bible. We will just have misunderstood it in a different way than, say, a Seventh-day Adventist. The Lord's Day is meant to be a preview of the complete renewal of creation that Jesus is now going about because of his resurrection, such that one day all things will be summed up in him but the sabbath gives you a foretaste of those things the lord's day gives you a foretaste of those things so if you're missing out on that you really are missing out not only on rest for now or hearing of the lord's word for now you're also you're also missing out on a vision of creation which is at rest in the lord rather than striving and suffering
1: right many of our listeners will understand our worship service as a foretaste of the feast to come or the Lord's supper as a foretaste of of what to come of what's to come. But really any of this becomes any kind of fellowship. If you think about it becomes something of a foretaste of that last day or of the eternal state or the glorified state.
2: Right. You can't help but Hebrews post again here. I mean, this is what you're referring to in Hebrews four starting at verse nine, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Our Sabbaths, our our little Sabbaths that we keep each week, according to God's commandment, will eventually give way to the great Sabbath that this is looking forward to. Right.
1: I mean, this is what we're looking forward to. And if we can't become comfortable with these things here and now, are we really looking forward to heaven?
0: Are we really looking forward to what we're going to receive there? I often think about that because I th- I think also if you're if you're talking about Sunday as if Sunday is just about the small amount of time in the whole 24-hour period that you are spending in church then you're kind of missing the point even if you went back to the old the old Lutheran way of having a morning service and an afternoon service. We should do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs>
0: even if you're thinking of it that way if you're spending the rest of your time worrying working hustling going here and there you're missing the point as a christian you are not preparing for a life in which god occupies 124th or even 112th of each day you're preparing for a life in which god himself shall be all in all and the lamb will be their light and the lord's day is helping you to that not only in the divine service but in the entire practice of a way of life which involves rest in the Lord and the enjoyment of all that he has given you.
1: All right, we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in Him. The book that sits on your shelf, The One Gathering Dust, word fitly spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be saved. We'll be right back. You are listening to a word fitly spoken. Willie Grills, Zell and Heidi, Adam Coons talking the Christian Sabbath. So we've outlined the biblical principles of the Sabbath, how it does still remain, how it is a foretaste of the good things to come in our blessed eternal state with Christ forever. So while we're here, sojourners on this earth, how ought we approach the Lord's Day? How can we keep it? Or a better way to put it is. How can we derive the most benefit from it? Which one of you guys wants to take that? Does perhaps Luther have anything to say?
0: Luther talks in the small catechism about hearing the word of God, and in the large catechism at somewhat greater length, about the same subject, the necessity for public worship and the hearing of God's word on the Sabbath. That is the most fundamental part of the Sabbath, because that is the portion of the Sabbath in which Christ is specifically given to his people in proclamation as their Savior, Redeemer, Lord, Sanctifier. Think of any title that belongs to our Lord, and that is what preaching is doing. So a Sunday without worship of the Lord and without the proclamation of Christ is an empty Sunday. And I know, I know that people feel that when they when they cannot be at church, you know, a lot of our churches have had to cancel services at different times throughout this winter or when people are no longer able to get to church, they miss it and they feel like something is just off because they they are used to Christ inhabiting their time and when that's not happening, it's very strange. Now, conversely, it's very easy, I think, in our time and place to go through all of life without thinking of christ and and certainly go through a sunday and the sunday is occupied by its own liturgy of youth sports in the morning and then various professional sports in the afternoon and evening and those things have become sacrosanct untouchable unchallengeable in a way that the christian ordering of the lord's day used to be it's worth pointing out that pretty much every church had some way of spending the whole day in Christ. Most often in Lutheran churches that was a series of services, most often in America, a morning service and then some kind of afternoon or evening service sometimes with a meal in between those times and socializing and such. In larger churches in the cities it would be, you know, multiple services throughout the day. And that has largely disappeared even in Christian churches that focus on the Sabbath a bit more. I have a fair number of Reformed churches around me, and only one of them that I, well, no, I'm sorry, two of them that I know of have evening services. So so only two of them are kind of looking at the thing as a whole day of worshiping the Lord. That That perspective, I think, is largely gone even among Christians.
1: Well, and you can see Luther's focus here too, because he isn't competing with all of the other stuff that we are. Yep. for time. exactly, yep. Society, I mean, even if it's in a purely civil or secular sense, in the time of Luther is going to be respecting the Lord's Day. Right. Commerce is essentially shut down. There's not all of these other activities that are going to vie for people's attention. Now, people are distracted by any number of things. That—that That is human nature. So we're not saying that people didn't. Sin or that didn't, didn't neglect the word in these days. It's just to say that it wasn't, it wasn't quite as celebrated. One, to be so busy on Sundays, extracurriculars in general just weren't there and to be as busy as you possibly can with them as some sort of status symbol, you know, certainly was a bit, a bit unheard of.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, Luther is not saying in the large catechism, you should go to church and then you should try to do as much stuff as possible so that by the time the day is over, you've sort of forgotten that you even went to church because it was just an hour out of an extremely busy day. He's not competing with a bunch of other stuff. I mean, in Luther's time, not only is Sunday a day off, but things like Ascension Day and Pentecost Monday, those are also days off. So he's trying to stress what makes this a Christian, a truly Christian festival, what makes the Lord's day, the Lord's day. And he's saying that's the proclamation of Christ. Zoan, do you, I, I, I wonder about this just because I live in a, you know, a little bit more populous area than you do. Huh. Okay. That's maybe. an understatement. But yeah, anyway, under, yeah. Understated. There might actually be more people in my county than your state, Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Certainly, in any two counties, do you have massive busyness among people on Sundays? Because I, I mean, I got—I I think every third child in this county is going to be some kind of professional athlete of you know, of one <laughs> kind or another, from baseball to gymnastics. Right, based on sports participation rates and frequency.
2: Yeah, it's it's not any different. I mean, just yeah. just because we have to drive you know, 30 minutes to an hour right. or more to right. get to the event doesn't mean that it isn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, just just because we live in an extremely rural part of the world, it doesn't mean that we aren't affected by this American way of looking at things and just this yeah. general busyness. It just takes perhaps a little bit different forms.
0: Right. I think it's going to, it is already imperative. I think people will realize how imperative it is that Christians begin to carve out and churches corporately begin to carve out their own time in the same way that youth sports has, because certainly we are offering something much more important than fleeting athletic glory, or no glory at all, maybe just a lot of money for a travel team and a lot of expensive equipment. But the church seems to be very timid about asking time and things from its, from its members. And as long as we're doing that, we're obviously going to lose to those who, who do ask those things of our people.
1: Yeah. Why do you think we're so afraid to challenge these things?
0: It could have to do with the boogeyman of legalism, I, I suppose. I think it's also that the church is unaccustomed because the church has enjoyed cultural hegemony for so long. It simply has forgotten how to fight for things like time and attention, because it it could for so long take those things for granted.
1: And it, and it's also, frankly, this is something that churches no longer believe in anyway. You know, you go from Sunday's the Lord's Day to eh, whatever, one day in seven to eh, whatever, just make sure that, you know, say the catechism prayer in the morning and evening, you'll be all right, or even that. And it's not just a Lutheran thing. I mean, this is something that's happened broadly. I wonder if it's because pastors themselves have just failed to preach this. Perhaps they didn't know it. Maybe they've never been taught it. And pastors themselves find, you know, they're obviously busier on Sundays. But even for a pastor, they can treat Sunday differently because it, frankly, is different. And so that's just one more burden for them. I don't know. The things that we're really excited about to get up and speak against or speak in favor of, as the case may be, tend to surprise me at times, but the Sabbath is rarely ever one of them. It's like you said, perhaps it's the specter of legalism. But I wonder if perhaps it's not just a case of not caring and not
0: believing. If pastors think about what's happening on Sunday as solely a work reality, a kind a very mundane work-related thing, and you gotta deal with certain people and you gotta do certain actions and that's what they're paying you for. If that's the way that you're looking at Sunday, and that's the only way you're looking at Sunday, you have a very strange idea of your ministry. What is happening as you're proclaiming Christ is that he and his, you know, riches are being made known to his people for whom those riches are intended. Something really very amazing is happening when Christ is being spoken of in that way. So I think that, Pastors, in order to understand Sunday, just like their parishioners, have to understand the glory and the gravity of what is happening when the Lord's Word is, is broken open like that.
1: That being said, there is a sense of preparation about coming to the service on Sunday, and, and especially if it's a communion service. So that right there already extends Sunday outside of merely the service hour. So now you're talking about preparation beforehand. So now your understanding of the Lord's day has gotten just a little bit bigger. And then we say, well, after you've received the Lord's body and blood, you need to ponder that and what the Lord has done and what you've received. Ah, so now we've extended it just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So there's a kernel of understanding there that Sunday is more than just that service hour, but we've become so almost defeatist, right? That if you'll just give me this. So it first became just give me two services a Sunday. And then it became give me one service. And then the service kept getting shorter. Okay. Give me two hours. Give me an hour and a half. Okay. Give me an hour to compete with your smartphones and your other activities. Perhaps it's high time one to revisit what the scripture says about Sunday, about the Lord's day and about true Christian worship and then teach it and preach it and demand that we not change. We plant ourselves. We plant roots and say, no, we're not going to move on this. You move on this. And to remind our hearers and to remind our families that nothing is to be prioritized over God in any sense and at any time. And if that means that you miss a practice, so be it. If it means that you are dejected from the team, so be it. Glory to God. God will pay you back 100-fold in due time. Because if you can't make that sacrifice of time, will you be able to make the sacrifice when persecution comes? Or will you just wilt? And I don't mean to put this in too stark of of terms here, but we have to ask ourselves, uh, is the Lord so insignificant that he is just like any other thing we have in the week to get through?
2: You have the account uh, very early on from Pliny the Elder who is talking about Christians in the, the provinces that he's visiting, and he's reporting back to the emperor Trajan. And he, he remarks that these Christians were gathering together before dawn in order to sing psalms and hymns to Christ as if to a god. So the, these Christians who, I mean, were living in a culture hostile to their way of living, so prioritized the word that they were, they were getting up literally before their day even began, their work day so that they would still be able to spend time in the Word and to receive the gifts of Christ. I think that's something worth thinking about. Well, you
1: know, we have evidence of the very early church having to come together not on Sunday morning, but on Sunday evening, because oftentimes they would be slaves or otherwise hired men who were forced to work, which does happen, even to this day, right? And yet they were still all about getting what time they could in because there are times i don't want to say that people absolutely can't work on sunday don't that's that's the problem when we say these things people start reading in all these exceptions and and things like that emts are working 24 hour schedules hospitals are open we absolutely understand that emergency personnel it's just going to be the reality and also as employees even if you're not in some kind of emergency work you're still going to be forced to work on some sundays we totally Understand that that that's not what negates prioritization. That's just the reality of living in a culture that doesn't honor God, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to the early Christians, and that's what happens to Christians today. Perhaps to end this on a positive note, because what I do is I say really dour things until one of these guys looks up a historical or biblical reference to back (laughs) me up, and then we just keep going. It's it's our shtick. (laughs) So, and the more the longer I talk, the more dour it gets. It's Pretty sweet. How can we sanctify the Lord's Day in our own homes? What are some good things that we can do
0: to make the best use of the time? It does begin on Saturday. On Saturday evening, you want to read the Bible readings coming up for the next day in church, and so that everyone is familiar with them and what's going to be happening, and maybe discuss what their meaning might be. You can pray for the pastor and the congregation as they're coming together in the morning. In the morning, I personally do not eat before taking communion. So if you're kind of a health nut, that's your intermittent fast built in right there, <laughs> if that's something you're looking for. But I, I do not eat before communion. And then once you have, you know, a, a lot of our churches, it'll the schedule will be divine service and then Bible class or Bible class then divine service once you've gone through with those things you're going to go home and you don't want a meal necessarily that you're going to have to prepare a, a million things for because you want to you want to decrease as much as possible the amount of stress and worry involved in sunday so have something that is to hand or something that you prepared on saturday or you know something like that so that you're not so that your sunday is not a bunch of rush take a nap, take a family walk, if your church has a later service go to that, but generally try to occupy yourself with the Lord's word and the Lord's gifts. Definitely take a break from social media. You know, just just kind of relax. All of this was was meant as a gift. Is there a
1: place for worldly amusement? Worldly amusement.
0: <laughs> what are what are you thinking of? Are you are you trying to fly to Vegas on Sunday or Right. Well, that's the question, you know. Willie is subscribing to the book of sports.
1: That's right. Yeah, we're, I subscribe to the book of sports. So you can <laughs> not bowl, no lawn bowls, but you can practice <laughs> archery, folks. <That's, laughs>
0: yeah, so, something that the listeners may not know is that some of the starkest differences between hosts and regular guests here on Fitly Spoken concern obscure points of English history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is not something I think we're ever going to make a podcast about. Lawn bowls, sure. Lawn bowls. I I, I I, think it is worth pointing out that even within Christian cultures, which honor the Lord's day, you do find variations of kind of acceptable activity such that, well, in my area, for instance, the Amish will do something like play baseball or volleyball when they're together gathered on a Sunday. It's a little hard for me to imagine an old school Presbyterian church having a baseball game, you know, after church on a Sunday. I'm willing to be corrected. It shouldn't happen according to in those churches, but these days it do. So, yeah. Yeah, You you definitely find cultural variation between Christians on kind of what is permissible. Well it's kind of interesting. You you do have like Walter discussing this, how Americans could be
1: scandalized by some of their activities on Sunday, but their activities were still leisurely activities. It was like drinking a beer and, right. and sitting on grass. <laughs> right. <know? laughs> was, right. Yeah. It's not, right. It wasn't super competitive kind of thing. So you could throw a ball with the kid in the backyard, that kind of thing. Zell and I believe, believes in Sunday walks, but only so many miles. He will not, there's <laughs> right. a certain point where you, you start to sin. I count my steps, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't want to be just total legalistic Judaizers or anything about this. It, they're, they're, it's questions of moderation within Christian liberty, but with mindfulness. We don't have that spirit anymore, or yeah. that trust of, of mindfulness, really
2: you make an excellent point and i think really the the key way to look at all of this is just to recognize that if you are doing something that is detracting even in a significant way away from christ and away from that rest which we have in christ then you need to ask yourself why are you doing this on this day especially if it's something that can wait until another day i mean that's really what we're getting at here is that it's not a question of like can i do x y and z Because then you're running into some, you know, this kind of like, you know, what's the bare minimum that I can do kind of a thing. But just recognize that if I am doing this, one, does it build me up or does it, you know, does it actually contribute to my faith? And two, if it is something, you know, just kind of like this, the sports activities or these other activities, is it something that, again, that is going to impede with that time which I have with the Lord?
0: Yeah, because I think the notion of waiting is that one thing that the Lord's Day is teaching you is that you can. The reason you can let other things wait and you can focus on essential things, certainly on the Lord's Day, most of all, is because the day that you're waiting for is the day that Christ will come. Um, right. It's not. It's not the day when you will accomplish a certain amount of stuff on your bucket list or or the checklist on your counter in the kitchen. It's the day when Christ will bring in all the fullness of joy and peace and rest that he has for you. And, th- and that's what the Lord's day prepares you for. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a witness to our creatureliness,
1: to the fact that we can rest because the government of all things is not on our shoulders, but our Lord is King over all creation. Any last words before we wrap up guys?
0: This whole issue is very urgent for our churches that the Lord's people should learn, again, how to rest in the Lord. I think it's something we've forgotten, and I I I think it's not something that's doing us any good to forget.
1: This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Adam Kuntz. God love you, and God bless.
0: and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his.